Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things, which you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me to help, sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases your credit. I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak to us, that your word has power. It continues to have power because it bears your own authority. We pray that as we've opened our Bibles, that our hearts would be split open before you and that you would speak into us, provoking us to love and trust you in greater and greater ways. We thank you, Jesus, for this word. Amen. We... uh, we have here um, in, in front of me this, uh, this bowl of ashes. Um, Wednesday was our Ash Wednesday service, which was, which was different than we've ever done it before. Um, if you uh, got to come and be a part of that, I had, I had very little to do with planning that. It was, it was kind of nice. My wife asked what was going to happen in a couple hours, and I was like, I don't really know. Uh, we're not really in charge of it. I, I was editing some of the, the writing, and, and that's it. And I got to participate myself after everyone left. After eight, I went and went through these four stations myself. Um, Becky Swan and Jenny Height and Joy uh, and Helen uh, helped to make everything beautiful. And Peter Council wrote music for Ash Wednesday. So if you were here, that music you heard, he wrote for us for that. We have this bowl of of ashes here that will remain here because we're in the season of Lent. In the, in the church calendar, um, and uh, I burned the palms from last Palm Sunday, and last Palm Sunday was bizarre. It was, uh, people came and got their palms out of a bucket out of the front door because we were shut down, and I, I mixed them in with the burnt palms from the year before, and frankly was quite glad to burn something associated with last year just to, just to make it gone, to make it go away. Um, 
And, you know, we marked ourselves with the cross, with these ashes, to remember that we're dust and that we're passing away. And we're inviting you into this rule of life uh, with us in acknowledgement of that fact during Lent, that we are passing away and that the moments of our days are meant to be ordered and pointed at Jesus. Uh, the, a rule of life is a spiritual practice that Christians have engaged in for uh, well over a thousand years. It's usually a personal thing. You usually personally discern what is right, these spiritual disciplines to engage at this season of your life. We're inviting you to join us corporately for just this time as we do this together, waiting to see what God might do in us to, to cultivate hopeful endurance in this difficult season. We are not yet out of pandemic. It is still winter. It is still too dark outside when I wake up, on and on. And this week we're talking about gratitude. And we're not, we're not talking about cultivating a practice of gratitude for this week, but instead to develop a habit of gratitude uh, in our lives for the entirety of this season, uh, being very intentional about it because of the way that gratitude cultivates in us a recognition that God is in our midst, that he's working, and also some of the very things that Paul is talking about here in this passage, contentment, contentment before God. Gratitude helps us to recognize what God has given us and makes us content to be with him. You know, this thing that Paul commands us to in Philippians 4 is incredibly difficult right now. At this particular place in time in human history, we have terrible habits. If we want to be grateful and content people, we spend much of our time being discipled in discontentment. And all of us, almost all of us, have machines in our pockets which we pull out ritualistically, scrolling through image after image after story after story that is not designed to make you happy and content and grateful. It's often designed to do the opposite for you, to make you discontent, to make you wish you were elsewhere, to make you angry at the state of the world, and on and on and on. We give ourselves to that kind of formation over and over and over hundreds and thousands of times every day. And you, you may not be on Instagram, um, but lots of people are. And the best version of Instagram is looking at pictures of happy kids or puppies or beautiful places. But, but even when that is happening, we're usually not looking at those things and saying, man, isn't this wonderful? Some part of us is also saying, I wish I was there. I wish I had that. I wish that was true of my life. And it's not. We can't even take simple things and be grateful for them. They provoke in us discontent. And you may be one of the few who don't spend any time on a phone or, or on uh, the internet or on social media. But guess what? This world has something for you too. You can watch TV whose commercials are entirely constructed to tell you over and over again, your life is not good enough. It will be better if you buy this product. Then you will be happy. But the initial message is you should not be happy. You should not be grateful or content. And maybe... You don't have the internet or a TV. If you go on the road, we will put signs up every so often to continue to give you the message for you too, disconnected person. Your life is not as good as it could be. If you would just buy this product or do this thing or give to this cause, then you could be content or happy. We are experts 
in 21st century America and making you profoundly discontent and ungrateful for the life that you are living. And you know what? This is not unique to us. I, although our technologies and our cultural habits are unique, they're, they're of this moment, I, I feel pretty confident that if you and I could travel back in time 200 years, somewhere in this place or another, we could find some pastor standing up and, and saying that this same problem would exist for his people. That the horse that they rode into, the, the church service, that horse is being compared to another, or, or this piece of whatever that they crave, they also are being constantly tempted to discontent. And we could go back 500 more years, and 1,000, and 2,000, and 8,000, and 10,000, and you could probably find people at every step along the way saying, you know what, we have a profound problem with being grateful for what we have, for being content with what we have, with the life that's in front of us. We have a particular way of experiencing that but we do not have an entirely unique experience this the scriptures will tell us is woven in to the human story when the bible tells us the beginning of all things in genesis 3 the moment when creation starts to fray apart and fracture apart the fundamental issue at stake is whether God is good and trustworthy. When Adam and Eve stand before the talking serpent, the lie that the serpent is telling them is that God is holding out on you. He does not, in fact, want you to have the best. He's withholding. And Adam and Eve are also then tempted to believe we would be better off if we were God instead of God. And in the beginning of humanity, Adam and Eve assent to this lie. And they say, we believe that God is holding out, that he is not generous, that our life is not as good as it could be. And we will take over. And from that moment, the history of humanity splits apart, fractures and frays as creation is undermined. The constant declaration by God in Genesis chapter 1 is, it's good, it's good, it's good. And in Genesis chapter 3, humans say, it's not good enough. It is within our very bones to live the way that we are living today with our technologies and our time. It is the, it is the struggle of all time. And here's Paul writing to the Philippian people. And his words are outrageous. Listen to how he describes it. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. He goes on to say, The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. It's not like a little bit. It's not some. It's everything. In everything, rejoice. Always be grateful. In everything, pray with thanksgiving. 
It's this totalizing language, this all-encompassing language that feels absolutely impossible. And then Paul goes on to say, Brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things which you've learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Paul commands the Philippian people to practice this work. And this is a work that requires practice. It requires an intentional focus on being grateful. Because our very DNA and the way that culture exists is naturally going to take you a different direction. You are naturally going to drift away from meditating on what is good and just and honorable and pure in the world, and you will have to fight the tide of this whole world that is pressing you against you, and you will have to practice moment by moment actually being grateful for what is in front of you. And the truth is that we have so much to be grateful for, and it requires attention to that truth in the moments that things are going as well as possible. In the best of times, you have to intentionally work to be grateful. Maybe you're like me that every once in a while, you have these moments of clarity and insight where you're like, wow, life is pretty great, right? I, I just... The last week or so, just, I don't know what provoked it. It was a gracious moment. I just was like, you know, I'm living a pretty great life. My, my, my kids are playing in this moment, not bothering me. They're, they're doing their thing. I'm fine. I have a great wife. We have a roof over our head. This is pretty excellent on the scale of things. I feel pretty great. But you know, the truth is, even in that moment of what I would say is is real clarity about the truth of my life, my list of things that was going well was still shockingly short. If I was actually paying attention to all the things that I could give gratitude, give give thanks to God for, express gratitude for, I, I could have listed so many other things. You know what I didn't say in that moment? Man, my legs work. My senses work. I'm breathing without any problems whatsoever. I'm seeing in this particular view out my window, I can see this mountain is beautiful. And if I turn to that one, there's another one. This one is also beautiful. And this sunset that I saw the other day is incredibly beautiful. And the one that's entirely different, the one that I saw the day before, also incredibly beautiful. If I started the work of actually listing all the things that I, was, I should be grateful for, I would never stop. My list would start to look a lot more like Paul's command, rejoicing always in gratitude. And this is in the best moments of my life. I can have some clarity on that. But it is when you are suffering that you have to have cultivated that habit. It is when things are going well that we best train our hearts. Because when suffering press, when, 
when suffering presses in on you, when you suffer loss, when you suffer anxiety, when you suffer lack of clarity about where your next paycheck is coming from, the world appears darker, your vision gets narrower, and it is hard to believe that there are things to be grateful for. It is in the moments that things are going well, when we are most inclined to reflect deeply on the nature of our good lives, that we must train ourselves for the moment when things are dark and difficult. This is the work of gratitude that Paul invites the people of, of Philippi to practice regularly when they see him because... Paul is writing this from jail. Philippians is not the, the writing of a man who is comfortably reclining in, in a nice suite in Rome. He is not looking over the beauty of the city and saying things are going great. He is shackled. He has suffered. He is suffering. He will suffer some more. And here is Paul saying rejoice always. And if you're like me, you're saying, how? Like, what? How can you possibly do that? And Paul, here at the end of his letter to the Philippians, actually divulges his secret to us. He divulges his secret. He says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you've revised your, revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. It doesn't matter where I am on the spectrum of comfort and provision and happiness. I've learned the secret to being content. And here's the secret. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Through him who strengthens me. This is Philippians 4.13. Athletes like to, like to write this on their eye black and their, their gloves, their, their cleats, baseball bats. And they, they usually write this on there. And what they mean is, through Jesus, I can run a sub four-minute mile or hit a home run or score a touchdown or whatever it is. And that's clearly not what Paul is talking about. Paul is talking about something that we should be able to confess is far more difficult than even those things. Paul is talking about being content in the midst of the ups and downs of life. And what he says is that him who strengthens me, Jesus, makes it possible. I am, um, in my, my morning time with God right now, I am uh, most every day use uh, the Book of Common Prayer, the Anglican Book of Common Prayer. It's good for me. It, um, it, I have to read scripture, Old, New Testament, Psalms, which is good for me. Uh, it makes me pray for things I wouldn't ordinarily pray for. Um, at the end of the morning office, almost the last thing that I'm supposed to pray is the general thanksgiving, which is this pretty lengthy prayer 
generally thanking God. Almighty God, Father of all mercies, we, your unworthy servants, give you humble thanks for all your goodness and loving kindness to us and to all whom you've made. We bless you for our creation, preservation, and all the blessings of this life. These are wonderful things to thank God for, all the blessings of this life, for existing and for being preserved in existing. You've blessed us with so much. But, above all, for your immeasurable love and the redemption of the world by our Lord Jesus Christ. But above all, for your immeasurable love and the redemption that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul would say to us, is saying here in Philippians 4, that Jesus is the reason you are able to be sustained in a life of contentment and gratitude because of his immeasurable love. You and I have so many things we could put on our list of gratitude. But the words, God loves me, should be right at the very top. And if you grew up in the, in the church, that becomes the language of children's songs that you sing 10,000 times in your life. And it, it becomes for us this sort of, this easy, descriptive thing that's just kind of nice, but starts to lose meaning somehow for some reason in our lives. Yeah, the sky is blue, the clouds are white, the trees are green, God loves me, I have a roof, blah, 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 blah. And somehow in the noise of our life, those words, God loves me, becomes unremarkable and becomes something that we don't come close to giving thanks to God for. We barely even remember it as a thing that's true in our lives. But at the heart of what Paul commands us is that this Christian life is meant to be sustained by this confession, God loves me. And we, we are saying that. We are saying that God, the God, infinite in holiness and majesty and power, who exists entirely without any need, has never been made, has no need for anything or anyone. That God has seen me, tiny, infinite, fallible, breakable me, basically a flea in the existence of the universe. And that God has set his mind and his heart on me and he has loved me. And not only has he not just said it, he could just say it. He could just say, I know you exist and I love you. But that is not what the God of the Bible says he does in his love. 
He sets his affections on me. And then as I have rebelled against him and said, actually, I think you're pretty ungenerous. I would be a better God than you are. And I have created a world of destruction and chaos and death. God loves me so much that he has entered into my finite, fallible, miserable, sin-ridden life. And God has come and become someone like me, has entered entered in to the places that I have made out of my own chaos and death. And he has climbed up on a cross and descended down into a tomb, my tomb, because he loved me. The immeasurable love of God is put on display on the cross and exudes life to me out of the infinite source of God's own life. When I say God loves me, God loves you, that is the kind of thing that we are talking about. That thing is full of power and life and a kind of love that I cannot find anywhere else. And the whole thing is God actually knows me. I can fool all you people. I've done it thousands of times. If I've known you long enough, you have no idea how dark and twisted my heart has often been. How many times I've held things against other people, been ungenerous in my heart, blasphemed and cursed. God has seen every ounce of my darkness, every bit of it. And he said that one. That one I love. I don't even love me. And I know me. And I can't muster it for myself. But the God, he loves me. And has put himself on the cross for me, on my behalf, and in my place. So when Paul is saying, in all things, all the time, you rejoice and give thanks and you too can live a life of contentment. It has nothing to do with the circumstances of my life. It has nothing to do with the goodness of my own heart. It is all about the goodness, the magnificent generosity of the God who demonstrates his power to you in his own crucifixion, his death, and his resurrection. That is why Paul is able to say, in all of these things, I am able because he strengthens me. Our eyes were meant to be fixed on him. And I, I'm not telling us this because I'm trying to shame us into doing now what is right. This is how good God is. That he, he is not sending me up here to tell you this so that you will get the message that he's saying, look how good I, I've been towards you and this is how you behave. How dare you? Shame on you. He is even better than that. He is telling you this morning that if you have lived your life in days and hours, moments, years of ignoring him and pretending like his love is just a thing you drive past every single day, that if today you would feel the awful weight of that ignorance, that ignoring him, and if you would turn to him today and say, I've wasted it, I've been so foolish, do you know what his response is towards you? To pour more love on you. 
He's a kind of father that just delights to have you home and doesn't care how massive the inheritance is that you've wasted, how much time that you've wasted. His love is more wasteful than the wastefulness of your sin. And that kind of God is a kind of God that would enable us in sickness and health and plenty and in want to say we can be grateful and content people because we have him. This morning, if you are standing before the cross, if you are standing before the crucified God, and you are realizing how much of your life has been formed to, to ignore him, to forget him, to treat him as common, and you are so, so sorry for this deep and real sin, you should know that the Father stands at the edge of the door looking for you eagerly to come home. And if you have lived your whole life trying to labor under the delusion that actually God would hold out on you, he's withholding from you the very best. And you would be a better God if you have lived your whole life under that delusion and today understand in front of the God who'd be crucified for you, that God would not withhold one bit of his goodness from you, and you want to come home and be with him, today is the day to do it. Today is the day to see Jesus and to hear him and to be captured by him so that his life might become yours. God loves you. And for that, we are a grateful people. Paul concludes this section of Philippians and says, My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful for all that you've given us. How could we not turn our hearts towards you? And yet we so frequently and easily and naturally wander away from you. Jesus, we pray that you would help us. We, we pray that you'd help us to be the kind of people that rejoice always, that are content always, that are grateful always. We pray that our eyes would be fixed on you. And Father, I pray for those of us who, who know that, who have trusted that, but who have far too often ignored you day to day in our lives. I pray that you would help us to confess that freely to you and come back to the reservoir of your love, the immeasurable love and found only in the Lord Jesus Christ and the redemption he secures for us. And Father, I pray for those who are here who have never trusted you, who have thought they'd be better off laboring under their own deity trying to seek out the best in life while ignoring you. I pray, God, that this morning you would free them of that delusion 
that they would be so profoundly dissatisfied with their own rule and reign over their life and that they would instead come find their life in you. Lord Jesus, we are so, so grateful. And we know we ought to be more grateful. Even in this, you're patient with us and kind towards us. God, I pray that you would make us a people to more and more be given over to this patience and kindness. Would you win us over totally and completely by your love? Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.